Do you have genuine faith that's proven true, even in an extreme test? Andrew Brunson learned total submission and trust through his intense sufferings in a Turkish prison. This is Bob Boyd. And Jerry Boyd. This is Issues in Education. Andrew Brunson, author of God's Hostage, a true story of persecution, imprisonment, and perseverance, was a dedicated missionary who pastored for 23 years in Turkey, a total Muslim country. 80 million people, many of which have never even met a real live Christian. Andrew Brunson and his wife Noreen pastored in Turkey for 23 years until being falsely accused of terrorism in 2016. Andrew Brunson was put into a filthy Turkish prison, into a cell designed for 8 to 10 prisoners that held more than 20 people crowded together in freezing in the winter, sweltering in the summer, in beds so close he was face to face with Muslim criminals and terrorists. Much of the time he had nothing to read, not even a Bible, and they took away his glasses. He felt a powerful, spiritual, dreadful, malevolent force that he was in Satan's dark territory and without the presence of God. He had no sense of God being there. They had a squat hole in the ground as a toilet. Andrew Brunson was sentenced to 35 years for strumped up charges. But his wife Noreen got word to the West, contacting her sentence. Senator Tillis and President Trump so that a worldwide prayer movement began to get Brunson released. After long negotiations between President Trump and the President of Turkey, Erdogan, Brunson was released and received at the White House by President Trump and many senators and congressmen. Noreen was unbelievable. She was calling and calling. She definitely loves you, let me put it that way. But she was calling and she wanted you out. We've been negotiating long and hard. I just want to congratulate you because you have galvanized this country. And it's your faith. It's your strength, what you've gone through. I know what you've gone through. Wasn't easy and wasn't easy for him. You may want to thank all of these great leaders because uh, they were really calling me a lot. They called me too much. I said, okay, I know, we're working on it, right? They are terrific fans of yours, and right now the whole world is a fan of yours. You really fought for us, unusually so. From the time you took office, I know that you've been engaged and fought for us, and Senator Tillis visited me in prison. So we're so grateful to so many people in Congress who stood with us and prayed for us and who fought for us. It was really everybody, the complete Senate. I would say we spoke about this at least once a day. We would like to pray for you. We pray for you often. Well, I need it probably more than anybody in this room. (laughs) Who did you vote for? I I sent in an absentee ballot from prison. Andrew Brunson's senator was Senator Tillerson. He found himself in a Turkish prison, despicable circumstances, in a prison cell designed for maybe eight or ten people that had more than 20 in it. Pastor Brunson was a missionary in Turkey. For that, he was ultimately incarcerated and accused of being a part of the Turkish coup attempt. That we're potentially going to have Pastor Brunson convicted and spend 35 years in a Turkish prison. When I heard that, the first thing I told my staff is I've got to go to Turkey, to the prison that Pastor Brunson was in. went there and I told Pastor Brunson across the table that we're not going to forget you and we're not going to stop 
until we get you released from prison. More than 72 senators signed on to a letter encouraging Pastor Brunson's release. I saw this man stand before dies of three judges and a prosecutor where you're assumed guilty until you prove innocence. That's Turkish justice. That's not anything that we could imagine in this country, but that's what this man was subjected to. This was a political exercise. It was not an exercise in justice. Pastor Brunson went through things that most of us could not imagine. So glad to have them back in this country. Thank them for their leadership, and thank you for opening the Senate today. Our guest is Andrew Brunson, author of God's Hostage. Andrew, you faithfully served the Lord for 23 years, and yet when you were imprisoned for your faith, you struggled with questions about God. Why did he allow you to go through such inhumane treatment to the point where you almost lost your mind and your faith? So you put all these questions into an imaginary lockbox and said, that's not going to stop me from having a relationship with God. I like that. Just put those questions away and someday they'll be answered, maybe in heaven. Yeah, or maybe not. The issue for me was I give up my right to answers, if there is such a right. I'm not going to demand answers to my questions. I do not need to have answers to have a relationship with God. I put my questions, my doubts, my accusations into that lockbox. I visualized it and intentionally did that. And after that, I did have questions and doubts, but I said, I'm not going to entertain these. I'm not going to give you a place in my mind. That discipline, part of perseverance, is saying, no, I'm not going to dwell on these things. And that was just a discipline again and again and again, training my heart to say, I am devoted to you, following you. If you give me no answers at all, that's okay. I'm still pressing in and embracing you. That's beautiful. It's like a choice to rejoice. You can choose to rejoice. You may not feel joy, like you chose to dance in your cell and you didn't feel any, but it's a choice. You can rejoice in the Lord, in your spirit, in your soul. You can make a choice to rejoice. I see Jesus all the time. Paul says, I have determined to know nothing save Jesus Christ and him crucified. But it's like going back to the cross and focusing on him and and what he went through. And and you think of in Gethsemane, the horror that, oh, Father, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. But but yet he didn't three times, and he was in agony. He almost died in Gethsemane. And so if Christ suffered, do we think we're not going to suffer? That's one of the things that helped me is to see Jesus at what I would call his weakest, that he struggled. So many times I said, oh, God, if you would just send an angel to me like you did to Jesus. That's unfair. Jesus is the Son of God. He's already so strong, and he has an angel come and minister to him at his weakest point. God, send an angel to minister to me. I so desperately need a sense of your presence. An angel comes and ministers to Jesus, and then Jesus is still in agony. He's still in terrible agony in Gethsemane, and that's after he'd received that ministry. And so I saw in Jesus the advantages of knowing what he's going to, going back to the glory he had with the Father before the creation of the world, and he knows that his death is going to accomplish the salvation of everyone who is ever going to be saved, yet he still struggled. He still was in agony over what he was going to go through. If Jesus could have that struggle and agony, is it surprising that I have that when he is so far beyond me? What it helped me to see also is that he understands me. He struggled with that feeling of abandonment, the agony he went through. He didn't want to go through it. He understands me. It gave me a sense of confidence that even in my weakness, he embraces me. Yeah, that's good. 
It seems like you were a political prisoner. You were a pawn between the president of Turkey, Erdogan, and President Trump. And so there was these nightly news broadcasts you'd see yourself mentioned, and you were very concerned about that. And this guy, Nijat, the big German, told you to stop stressing and worrying about Trump and Erdogan. When God says you can get out, you'll get out. Meanwhile, just trust God. I thought that was good. That's very encouraging. Yeah, my cellmate there, he's a Turk who had studied in Germany, had a German passport, but fully Turkish. Just a very devoted Muslim. God took me from the high security prison where I was broken and put me in maximum security, which I thought would be much worse, but it was actually a place where the healing took place. Here's a man who is a devout Muslim. But we had many conversations about Jesus. He's still in prison right now, unjustly so, falsely accused of political crimes. People don't realize the importance of our judicial system. This habeas corpus means you can't be held indefinitely without a trial. But in Turkey, you could be imprisoned for a long time without a trial. People need to appreciate more what we have in this country. And also appreciate Donald Trump, who met with the Turkish president Erdogan and suggested a trade. You for this guy Gulen. Actually, that was Erdogan demanding a trade. And Trump said no. <laughs> oh, was Gulen, don't do that. was Gulen in this country? Was he in America? Yes. Yeah, he's here in the States. They had many things they were asking for me. But that's where I say there's a human story and there's a God story. The God story is more fundamental underlying. So we talk about Azan and what he was trying to do, holding me as a hostage, trying to trade me, all those things. The truth is that God was very much involved in my imprisonment, and I've come to see my imprisonment as an assignment from him. Not that he put me in prison. He had spoken to me, prepare for harvest, that was an assignment. And I realized while I was in prison that I still had that assignment and my imprisonment was part of carrying out that assignment because there was a worldwide movement that started millions of people around many countries in the world began to pray for me. It was a supernatural prayer movement that God started and sustained. I became a lightning rod to draw that prayer into Turkey, which is going to prepare for harvest there. But all of the things, the human side, all the intrigues and Whatever I wanted to do, underlying it is that God is the grandmaster chess player, and he was using this for his own purposes, and when he decided he had accomplished his purposes, then he set me free. Bob started having us watch these Turkish dramas on TV, and I fell in love with the Turkish people, fell in love with these Muslims, and started praying for him, praying for him, and then found out that there's an American pastor imprisoned in Turkey, and I thought, oh, wow, you know, so it just came alongside part of the prayer movement, so that when you got released, I was so grateful. But all the people praying for Turkey, because they have a heart for Turkey. Now, we love these people, and we want them saved. And I, every day I pray for Turkey. I mean, a lot. Well, thank you. That's really encouraging. But God didn't need millions and millions of people to pray for me to get me out of prison. He was doing something much bigger. In the future, we will see those who prayed for me were involved in something much bigger than just getting me out of prison. All of this prayer pouring in there was intended to, to prepare for the harvest that is coming. We've got a lot of people in this country who don't appreciate what we have in this country, the freedom that we have. And so many Christians are not involved in politics. But let's face it, without Trump, without Senator Tillis Brownback, Senator Lindsey Graham, Senator Shaheen, you'd still be in that stinking, rotting prison, right? Yeah. All of that prayer 
put me on the hearts of officials who were working to get me out. Okay, so, yes. what I'm trying to say is that Christians need to appreciate what we have in this country and not look down upon politics, because you were a hostage, a political hostage, yeah. and, and our country didn't make deals for hostages. They don't pay ransom, because that'll make more hostages. But I think we have to give thanks to God that we have a free country, so we have the opportunity to vote who we want to be, our president, get involved, stay involved in politics, and not make it all spiritual. There are many very good things about the United States, many things that Americans take for granted. I see that they're actually very, very rare in history and even in our world today, the freedoms that we have. But because most Americans haven't been exposed to that, they assume that our country is just awful and terrible. It isn't. It really isn't. But one of the things we are headed into a period of increasing hostility towards followers of Jesus Christ. The freedoms that we have enjoyed in this country are under threat, especially freedom of religion. Religious freedom for believers, I think, is going to be constricted. One of the things that's really on my heart now since coming back from Turkey is to prepare believers here in the United States to stand in difficult times, to stand under persecution. I think persecution is coming. It's going to lead to many believers. The concern I have is that people are not ready. If they're not ready for pressure, then they're likely to compromise or run away when there's a threat. Very much on my heart is that we need to especially address leaders, parents, grandparents, to prepare those under their care so that when the pressure does come, people will not run but will stand. At this point, we're not ready. Most people are not ready. I speak with some authority in this area because we can't completely prepare. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't completely prepare for things. But I know that I almost got knocked out, and I was pretty ready from all the pressures we've been under. My concern is if we don't prepare ourselves, if we don't take steps now to prepare our hearts, I'm not talking about buying a generator and stocking up on food. People can do that. That's fine. But the preparation of the heart that will give us the deep roots so that we can stand strong. Yeah. And so that is a major concern right now in my heart. Okay, I'm thinking about how Trump doubled the tariffs on Turkish steel and aluminum, costing them $40 billion. That wiped out the stock market in Turkey. You were the world's most expensive prisoner, The Economist said. I thought it was fascinating because President Trump cost their economy billions. Erdogan said that 81 million Turks sacrificed for one priest. Has there ever been a prisoner before that brought this much pressure on another country to ruin their economy for a short period of time? But I seriously doubt that the current president we have now would have done that. I am very grateful to President Trump. He took unprecedented action. My view, having been a hostage, is that the U.S. should have a much more robust response to these kinds of situations. There are many different kinds of leverage that we can bring to bear, but that we usually don't. However, nobody takes Russians or Chinese as hostage. <laughs> they take yeah. Americans. Yeah, I'm tremendously grateful for the Trump administration and all that they did. They did fight for me. It was unprecedented, the level of involvement, action that they took. Yes, I'm grateful. But one of the things that happened in this last election is that many believers were lulled into a sense of safety because they expected Donald Trump to win again. When I look at the what I call the commanding heights of American culture, media, entertainment, big tech, K through 12, and then up through university, and most of government bureaucracy, 
it is primarily populated by people who are increasingly hostile to faithful followers of Jesus. The culture has gone in that direction. That being the case, if President Trump had won, I thought that there would be some delay on the government side as far as pressure toward believers. But in the culture itself, the pressure is already there, and it's growing. We haven't reached the tipping point yet, but it is going to come. We will just have an acceleration in that pressure. But we were not going to be saved from that pressure, no matter who the president is, because our culture has already gone so far in the other direction in rejecting the Judeo-Christian foundations. So I think it's inevitable that we're going to face the kind of pressure that I mentioned for believers who were looking for a political salvation, which I can understand that, but the pressure's coming. We need to prepare ourselves for it. We need believers to, to stand. So that's what I'm focusing on. My track is to sound the alarm and say, prepare your hearts. Well, I agree. Unfortunately, some of the messages we get, or many of the messages, are just positive thinking and fluff and easy Christianity, and everything's going to be wonderful, and this is your best life now. But what about the way of the cross? You don't even hear about Christ and the blood of Jesus. It's missing. And so what about suffering? Nobody wants to talk about suffering, whereas it's written all throughout the Bible. And if Christ suffered such a horrendous, horrible, incomprehensible death for our salvation, we think think we're going to get out of this without suffering? And that's what persecution's well, we coming, and maybe it is, because it's around the world. I mean, look at all the people suffering in China, everywhere, and yet Christians are But we are haven't pretty- here in the States. So understandably, most people here, the American church has been under a real season of blessing. Our country has been under a lot of blessing for a long time. One reason is because there were so many people who were faithful to God and at a leadership level in commanding heights. There were many people who did honor God, even publicly. That has changed. We don't have an experience of intense persecution, as many other countries have experienced. Also, we have a can-do attitude, very positive. Our strength as a society, we're a pioneering society. A lot of people came here and started new things. We have that entrepreneurial, pioneering spirit we have had in the past. Yeah, I look at the church, and there are steps that we can take to prepare ourselves. And the first step is that we have to talk about what's coming, about the pressures that others have faced in the past, to have that as part of our worldview. My mother said to me, she visited me early on in my detention, and I'm sitting across from her just weeping, I'm broken, and she says, Andrew, there's a long line of people who suffer for Jesus Christ. It's a very long line that extends 2,000 years. My son, it is now your turn to stand in that line. When I heard that, It was very sobering. It's not what I wanted to hear, but over the next two years, that helped give perspective. This is something that has happened to many people. We have been spared from that, thank God. I'm not one of the people who says, great, persecution is coming, it's wonderful. No, Jesus, whenever he talked about persecution, he warned about how dangerous it is and how many people can get knocked out. I had an idealized view of persecution. I don't have that anymore. It can be harder than you think. And that's why we talk about it and change our mindset. Yes, this can happen. It is going to happen. I make decisions now. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I will stand. I will fear God and not man and make those decisions ahead of time. Yeah, that's good, Andrew. And I'd like to, in your charade 
court trial, you were surrounded by anti-Christian Muslims with a Muslim judge, a Muslim prosecutor, a Muslim crowd watching on Turkish TV, and yet you gave a bold witness for Christ, even though you faced what could have been life in a stinking, rotting Turkish prison. You showed the power and love of the Savior. You stood up to the mic and you said, there's only one way to have your sins forgiven, one way to be saved. I like the way you did that. During your imprisonment, you were in that one cell where all the guys would watch TV and they're all Muslims. And at one point, President Erdogan and Trump were both in the Oval Office in the White House. You saw Erdogan sitting in that chair. And then lo and behold, they were talking about you and Trump asked three times for him to release you. Well, a year later, there you are in the Oval Office after you'd been released, sitting in that very same chair that President Erdogan had sat in. Isn't that just something? Yeah, 17 months later, I finally got out. It's a wonderful reversal how God did that. I was sitting in the same chair, the same yellow chair in the Oval Office where Erdogan had refused Trump's request. Now I was sitting there and praying for the president from that very chair. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think it was nice that President Trump, he appreciated your prayers for him, didn't he? Yeah, that's my impression of him, is that he very much welcomed prayer from people. I still think it's amazing how the U.S. government did so much, even imposing sanctions on a NATO ally, Turkey, all asking for the release of one Christian pastor that nobody ever heard of. You were the most yeah. prayed man in the world. That's incredible. Everybody was praying for you. And I think the President Trump and the prayer, it took a major force like that to focus on Turkey. And, of course, Turkey now has got a great prayer movement to open up Turkey to the gospel. Yeah. When God began to really take hold of your heart and transform you, you said, I love you, Jesus, even in the midst of the fire. When we have our faith tested, we're being purified like gold for eternity. I mean, he's preparing us for eternity, but I love what you wrote. I want to be found worthy to stand before you on that day with no regrets from cowardice, things left undone, to hear you say, well done, my faithful friend. Now enter your reward. Jesus, my joy. You are the prize I'm running for. That's just beautiful. I'd love for you to end with a prayer for our listeners, but also for the Turkish people. Yeah, I'd be glad to pray for people. And what I like to do is pray for what I prayed for myself and for my family so many times. In the second year, I prayed it pretty much every day. Father God, pour out on your sons and daughters the courage, the strength, the confidence, the hope, the endurance, the perseverance, and steadfastness of Jesus. Pour out on your sons and daughters the Spirit of Jesus, that we may run the race set before us and finish well, a beautiful bride, purified in the fires of faithful obedience, tested and found worthy of her beloved, of Jesus, the King of glory. So this is my prayer that people will be filled with the Spirit of Jesus and endure and stand for Him be found worthy of him, yeah. Amen. We're just praising the Lord for the millions of Muslims that are going to be converted to Christ in Turkey. Yes. I expect in my lifetime to see millions of Muslims turn to Jesus. Yeah. You ended your book with this quote, like Richard Wormbrand, in spite of the miserable circumstances and torture, there were times he wished he were back in his solitary prison cell where he tasted an unusual intimacy with God. The isolation, the fear, the threats drove me, you said, to cling to God as never before. That was good. In my days in prison, I became consumed with seeking God. I miss being so completely dependent on God. And I want desperately that seeking that I had. Do you still feel that way? 
yeah, one of the main steps to preparing our hearts to stand in difficult times is to cultivate love for God. And what I often underline is that doesn't happen naturally. It's something that we have to pursue to be intentional about pursuing God. Our heart naturally diminishes in love for God over time. That's why I give the example in prison, my circumstances, my hardships drove me to run after God in a in a desperate way. And now I don't have the same drive to run after him. So it's something that I, I have to intentionally cultivate. And yes, that's still the goal. Most important thing we can do is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Whatever my ministry may be, whatever assignments God gives me, underlying everything, ultimately what God is going to look at is my heart response to him. That's what I'm living for. Yeah, that's good. Our guest has been Andrew Brunson, author of God's Hostage, a true story of persecution, imprisonment, and perseverance. Millions of Christians around the world prayed for Andrew Brunson and for the people of Turkey who are oppressed by Islam. Andrew Brunson wondered, why would God allow this painful ordeal of his? Yet through it, God used his imprisonment to orchestrate an unprecedented worldwide prayer movement, both for his release as well as for the salvation of the Turkish people. James wrote, quote, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. The testing of your faith develops perseverance so that you will become mature. And the saints listed in the the book of Hebrews showed all of God's favorite people suffered for their faith, and yet none of them received what they'd been promised. Their rewards are eternal, and the greatest reward is seeing face-to-face Jesus Christ and hearing him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Amen. If you would like a CD copy of today's program, please ask for number 1809 Suffering in a Muslim Prison, Part 2. That's number 1809, Suffering in a Muslim Prison, Part 2. The CD also includes last week's program, Part 1. And you can order a CD copy of this program from our website. Our website is issuesineducation.org. That's issuesineducation.org. Please give us a call at 928 928- Seven seven six zero 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 zero. That's nine two eight seven seven six zero 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 zero. From Romans eight verse eighteen. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For issues in education, this has been Bob and Jerry Boyd. <laughs> 